We're continuing our sermon series entitled Standing on the Promises of God. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, this is a verse that we've looked at multiple times through this series and kind of our, our theme verse, I guess you would say, it, it reads this, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And what we know without a shadow of a doubt is that God is always true to his promise. He's not sometimes true or most of the time true, but what makes him God is that he is always true to his promises. And this morning, what we're going to look at is the promise of victory. We're going to look at how the battle of the Lord does indeed belong to him. What we're going to look at this morning is the story of Gideon. And, and, and many of us in this room are very familiar with this story. But what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see the great, one of the greatest battles in all of Scripture this morning. And, and as we look at this, know that we're going to cover a lot this morning. We'll, we'll start in chapter 6, and we're going to skip around a little bit, but we'll conclude in, in chapter 7. Our message point this morning is this, having a faith that overcomes our fear. Having a faith that overcomes our fear. You and I certainly live in some turbulent days, don't we? We live in a day in which Fear has crippled so many within our society as well as the global society. For some, this fear has literally left them crippled. Notice our first point this morning. It is Israel's rebellion and oppression. Israel's rebellion and oppression. So beginning in verse 1 of Judges 6, we read, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel and became of Midian the people of Israel. Uh, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. How many times have you and I read and chapter our verse 1 of chapter 6 within God's Word? We read, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That is just, unfortunately, a recurring statement that we find in Scripture. Over and over we read this. And here's the reality. That is just as true of us today. I mean, you fill in the blank. The people of blank did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's very little difference between our lives today and the lives of the Israelites thousands of years ago. We are a people that have rebelled against God, and we see the consequences of our rebellion on a daily basis. God's chosen 
were experiencing the consequences of their sins. They had become slaves to the Midianites. And as we just read, the Midianites were a bunch of bullies is who they were. They had come into the land and they had stolen and they had pillaged and they had created within the people of God a tremendous amount of fear. And here's what we know. Living fear-filled lives is no way to live our lives. Yet there are billions of people across our land today that are living just that way. They're living in fear. You know, I, I don't know about you, but um, I'm tired of turning on the television and watching the nightly news. I mean, I don't care if you're left-leaning or right-leaning. Um, all of it is, is news-driven, and all of it potentially can create a tremendous amount of fear within our lives, whether we see um, the lawlessness on our streets or we hear about all the, all, the, all the pillaging that's even happening within our own land. The people of Israel, they were living in fear and they were hiding out in caves. And the people of God would do this for seven years. And after seven years, the Israelites finally get to the point of repentance. They finally cry out to God for his mercy. And what did God do? God sent a prophet. And this prophet came, and what this prophet did is he chastised the people for their rebellion and their sinfulness. And following this, an angel of the Lord would appear to Gideon. And, and we're going to see now in our second point, we're going to see Israel's champion. Here's what we need to be reminded of this morning. Sometimes God uses difficult situations to get our attention, doesn't he? How many times has that happened in your life? How many times has God used a difficult situation in your life to get your attention? Maybe it was the result of a sin that you committed or a sin that a, a, a fellow family member or someone you love committed. And then at the end of that, there is a, 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 a point of confession and repentance and helpfully um, um, restitution is what happened. But notice next, we see Israel's champion. Okay, in verse 11 through 16, we read, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was being out, beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he, became, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Notice first, we have, we have um, the, the, the commissioning of Gideon. The Lord reaches down and he chooses Gideon out of all of the men and women across the land. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Out of the millions of people that lived in Israel probably at this time, the Lord reaches down and he chooses this, this, this 
fearful little boy by the name of Gideon. The Lord chose him and commissioned him with an incredible task. That task was to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And that, my friends, would have seemed to be an incredibly impossible task. Remember, the Israelites were left shaking in their boots. They were relegated to hiding in caves and cliff dwellings. And they were constantly on the run. And in the midst of this, the Lord appears to Gideon and tells him that he would use him to deliver the Israelites out of their hand. You know, Mark 10, 27, Jesus spoke these words. We read, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible with God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that all things are possible with God? Now, I labeled this point Israel's champion. But did you notice where our champion is when we're introduced to him in Scripture? He is threshing wheat inside of the wine press, hiding out from the Midianites. That would be like me um, wanting myself a nice, big old, juicy cheeseburger, being in the back of Chick-fil-A, flipping that thing on the fryer. It just wasn't, isn't a place. I shouldn't be making burgers at Chick-fil-A. Gideon should not have been threshing wheat inside of a wine press, because where should wheat be threshed at? It should be, usually it's out in the open during a time when the wind is blowing a little bit because what they would do is they would take that wheat and they would toss it up into the air and all of those impurities, all of that chaff would blow away. Well, inside of a wine press, there's probably not a whole lot of wind that is blowing, but that is where we find our champion this morning. Notice these words spoken to this man. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Some of your translations say mighty warrior. What a warrior, right? He's a scared little boy hiding out from the schoolyard bully. But notice what we see next. We see Gideon question the Lord. Gideon heard these words from the angel of the Lord and probably thought, who, me? He probably looked around him thinking that there was some mighty Midianite warrior getting ready to pounce on him when he heard that the Lord was with him, O mighty warrior. Gideon would reveal why he thought that he was underqualified for the task. He was from the weakest of, of Israel's clan, and he was the least in his father's house. He was a young man from an insignificant clan. How many times in Scripture have we read about God using a young man from an insignificant clan to change the course of human history? I mean, think about Abraham. He was, he was called out to be the father of a mighty nation. Moses was chosen to deliver the nation from the hand of Pharaoh. God chose David, the smallest and weakest member of his father's sons, to be Israel's greatest king. He chose 12 ordinary men to change the world. He chose fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, outcasts, poverty-stricken individuals. He chose Paul, a persecutor, to be the greatest of Israel's missionaries. The Lord does not always choose the financially secure or the emotionally stable or the greatest influencers or those with the prettiest faces. He doesn't always choose the movie stars and the professional athletes, does he? 
God chooses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. He chooses men and women just like us in this room this morning to change the world. Gideon, out of his weakness, questions the Lord. But the Lord in his strength tells Gideon in verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, O be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You know, you would think that the word of the Lord would be enough for Gideon. You would think of, um, of, of, of an angel of the Lord sitting right in front of him as being enough to convince him. But guess what? That wasn't enough for our young warrior. And so what does Gideon do? Gideon, um, I'm, I'm going to just kind of tell you what Scripture goes on to say. Gideon would... would um, Ask the angel of the Lord if he would wait while he goes and prepares a meal. So Gideon goes, he prepares a meal for the angel of the Lord. He brings it back, and the angel of the Lord tells him to pour out that meal onto a rock. And so he obeys, he pours out that meal, and then the angel of the Lord took his staff, and he touched that rock, and in a moment, that meal was just, was, was just flashed away. And we go on, and we see next. Gideon's response. In verses 22 through 24, we read, Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Orpha, which belongs to the Bizarites. Gideon was convinced that the Lord had shown up and set him apart. Gideon is a changed man, and we see this in his worship. The Lord tells Gideon next to go and destroy um, the altar of Baal that, that was on his father's land and tear down the Asherah poles and to build an altar and sacrifice to the Lord. And that is exactly what Gideon does. Why did he do that? He did it because the reason the Israelites were being oppressed and punished was because their worship was out of alignment. They had given themselves over to the worship of idols instead of worshiping the one true God. So the Lord uses Gideon to call the people of God back to God. And following those events, the people would see in Gideon a leader that would be set apart from the Lord. And we read in Judges 6, 30 through 35, these words. Now all the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. And the Abyssalites were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Mutali, and they went up to meet him. I love this. God clothed Gideon with his Spirit. His Spirit would enter into Gideon, and Gideon would go in the Spirit of the Lord to deliver the people of the Lord before the people of the Lord. You notice what happens when the Lord gets a hold of us? He changes us, doesn't he? That's exactly what happened to Gideon. The Spirit of God would fall upon him, and Gideon would be forever changed as a result. Next, we see our warrior ask another sign from the Lord. Why do we do that? Why aren't we convinced the first time? Why do we always have to ask and demand a sign of our God? Is the Spirit of God in us not enough of a sign? For Gideon it wasn't, and most of the time it's not for us. But we see here in verses 36 through 40, 
Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, let there be dew. And God said, and God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. Why again? Why did he need another sign? Most of us in this room can relate to Gideon. All of us have probably asked for a physical sign from the Lord at one time or another. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you have ever asked the Lord for a sign? Okay. I know that I have, and my usual, usual go-to sign is, Lord, if you want me to do this, hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. Okay. I don't know what I would do if the Lord ever hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. I'd probably go meet him real, real quick. But we've all done that. We've all demanded a sign of God. God, just show me. Prove to me that this is what you want me to do. In Psalm 32, 8, we read these words. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What does this passage say? This passage tells us the Lord will teach us his word, and he will direct us with his eye. You know, have you ever been led by somebody's eye before? You know what that means? Um, my kids have been led by my eye before. I've given them the stink eye. I've given them that look before, that one you know when you give it, hey, when we get home, you're going to be introduced to the Board of Education. You know that sign? All of us are reminded, are, are, are familiar with that. You know, my wife and I, we've been married for over 23 years. And if we're in a crowded room and, and one of us is ready to go home, all the other person has to do is just kind of give us that look. And we know that, hey, it's time to wrap it up and it is time to go home. When you and I live under the counsel of the Lord, we will know when and where he is leading us without having to throw out our fleece for a sign or without having to call out to God to hit us upside the head with a two-by-four. We don't have to ask the Lord for a fleece. The Lord tells us he's going to direct us with his word. He is going to guide us with his eye. His spirit is going to speak to us and through us as we go throughout life. Next, we see the Lord's faithfulness. We, we, here's what we know. The Lord promised the nation of Israel victory. And he promised Gideon it would be under his leadership that the Midianites would fall. But what we're about to read now and see is not the might of a military army, but the faithfulness of our God. So we, here, here, here we go. The battle scene is set. In, in Judges 18, 810, we're told that the Midianites had 135,000 warriors. The Israelites, we are told, they had 32,000 warriors. 
And we, we, we read in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Before the battle ever begins, Israel is outnumbered four to one. And the Lord tells Gideon, you have too many men. Can you imagine if you were Gideon and the Lord told you that you had too many men? And so the Lord instructs Gideon, tell the Israelites, if any of them are scared, they can leave. And at that moment, when Gideon addresses that, that his military, 22,000 of them run home to mama. 22,000 of those cowards leave Gideon and the rest alone. So Gideon is left kind of scratching his head. All right, I got 10,000 men. I, I can still do it. We can still win. Hey, God is on our side. But what does the Lord tell Gideon next? Tells him he still has too many men. And so the Lord instructs Gideon and tells him, go down to the creek bed, which was basically just below where they were camping. And he tells them basically um, to watch how the people drink the water. And I'm going to sift out more based on how they drink. And so um, it goes down into, they get down into the water, and for those people that got down on all fours and drink the water like a dog would drink the water, um, he sends those home. He doesn't want those. But for those people that get down into the water, and they're probably holding their sword with one hand, and they're reaching down into the water, and they're scooping up the water, and they're drinking it like this, the Lord tells them with those men, he's going to defeat the Midianites. And so, so here's what happens in the end. Gideon is left with 300 men. 3, 31,700 of those weasels leave. Leave him alone with 300 people. And they're about to go up against 135,000 others. So what does Gideon do? Gideon wants one more sign. And so he asks the Lord to allow him to, to sneak into the enemy camp, to kind of get a visual of what he is, to be, to, is tasked with. And so we see here next in Judges chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down. So that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Gideon is finally assured that the Lord had given the Midianites into his hand. And we read next. In Judges 7.15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and his interpretation, he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. So the scene is set. 
Gideon and his men are looking out over the valley where the Midianites are, and they are getting ready for battle. You know, Gideon lines them up. And I'm not sure if he gave them a William Wallace speech there or a win one for the Gipper um, speech there, but here's what he did. He passes out the weapons to them. And you would think that what Gideon would do is he would pass out swords like this, right? That, that you'd go into battle with a sword like this. This is my son's, by the way. Um, I had to call him up and get permission to, to use it. But you would think they would go into battle with swords and with spears and with arrows and body armor and all of those such things, right? That's what you would think because that's how you win a battle. But notice, that's what you would think. But our Lord doesn't always work the way we would think that he would work. In verses 16 through 18, we read, and he divided the 300 men into three companies, put trumpets in the hand of all of them, empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. What does Gideon hand out? He hands out horns. I try to blow this and I can't. He hands out torches inside of clay pots. And with these weapons right here, he tells his men that they are going to defeat the Midianites, 135,000. Folks, that is worse than taking a knife to a gunfight. Isn't it? That is certain defeat unless the Lord is with you. Here's what happens in Judges 19 through 23. We read, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their hands the torches in their right hands the trumpet to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I can kind of understand what the Midianites experienced, all right? How many of you like to camp? Anybody like to camp? How many of you have been camping? Okay, if you, if you don't camp anymore, you may be kind of a camper like me. I don't sleep very well when I camp. If I hear a twig break in the middle of the night, I just jump up out of my tent, and I'm afraid there's a bear outside my tent, or there's someone out there trying to get in to steal everything that I have. That's why I don't camp, because I'm a scaredy cat. Well, the Midianites are a bunch of scaredy cats. They hear this ruckus, and in that moment, they begin to stir. They get scared, and they turn their swords upon each other. And there is 120,000 of them left for dead. Only 15,000 of them escape from that battle. But you know what? How many individuals did the Israelites slay? How many individuals did Gideon slay that night and his men? Zero. 
They killed themselves out of fear. Folks, the battle does belong to the Lord. This is one of the greatest battles in all of Scripture. This was truly the Lord's battle and a battle in which the Lord got the glory. Folks, you and I are in a battle right now. It is not a battle against flesh and blood, but it is a battle, according to Ephesians 6.12, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of, of, of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle that you and I are fighting on a daily basis is a battle between good and evil, between right and wrong. It is a battle for our marriages, our children, our grandchildren, our school, our courthouses, our government buildings, the unborn in the womb, and the lost souls outside of the womb. It is a battle for righteousness, holiness, and the souls of mankind. That is why it is essential that you and I get armored up, studied up, and prayed up. Folks, if you... If God can give Israel victory over a mighty army with just 300 trumpets, clay pots, and torches, then I'm certain that he can give you and I victory over our current circumstances as well. God used Gideon to change a nation. He can use you and I to change our schools, to change our places of employment, our cities, our states, our nation, and this world. I love what D.L. Moody once said. He said, give me 10 men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and I shall change the world. You know what the Lord can do within our fellowship? We are, we are probably between... Um, our active membership, about 150 plus strong. And if the Lord can change the world with 12 people, really 11 because one of them abandoned the Lord and betrayed him, then the Lord can change the world with 150 of us as well, can he? He can use us to change our homes and our community and this world. Joni Erickson Tata said, when times are at their worst, Christ calls his followers to be at their best. He calls you to be a person of valor. It is time you and I become the men and women of valor that God created us to be. It's time for us to become the warriors for Christ that he created us to be. We must fight the good fight for the faith of the lost souls that are in this world. It is time we demonstrate faithfulness over fearfulness. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now this morning thanking you, Lord Jesus, for the promise of your word, thanking you, Father, for, for great stories that we find throughout Scripture. Father, we thank you for Gideon. Lord, we know that Gideon, yes, he was a mighty man of God. He was a mighty warrior. But we also, when we're first introduced to him, Lord, he's nothing more than a scared little boy. And Father, even throughout his life, he questioned you. He demanded signs from you. And Lord, we know that he would have another failure in his life later on, Father, where he got his worship out of alignment. And Father, I think all of us in this room can relate to Gideon. Father, all of us in this room have fallen and failed. We failed you. We failed our families. We failed those that we do life with. But Father, even in the midst of our failures, Lord Jesus, because of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us, we too can be mighty warriors for you. I pray this morning, if there is someone here this morning that, that, that 
needs to experience victory in Christ. I pray that they'll do that today. I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Today will be the day that they repent of their sins and cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. There may be someone here this morning, Lord, that, that's just struggling. They need somebody to pray for them. Lord, I would love to pray with whoever you would bring my way this morning. There may be some here this morning that have been visiting our church while and you're leading them to make friendship their church home. We pray that they'll do that as well. Lord, move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.